If you want to stand again, I'm going to read uh, a portion of seven verses. Just a portion of seven verses. Revelation 2 and 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, Revelations 2 and 8, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, Revelations 2 and 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, and Revelations 2 and 18, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, right, in Revelations 3 and 1, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis, right, in Revelations 3 and 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, in Revelations 3 and 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we need you now. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. You're here. You're here, oh God, and we feel your divine touch and presence. We follow your leadership in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Praise God. And you may be seated. And you have recognized, no doubt, that I have just read the preliminary words that began letters to the seven churches of Asia. We have used these seven churches so very much as representative of the seven church ages or dispensational ages until perhaps we've relegated to the back of our minds the fact that they did actually exist, all of them at the same time, maybe one beginning a little bit before the other. And each letter is addressed to the angel or the pastor of the church. And each letter concludes with a statement, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Only two churches out of the seven received no criticism or rebuke, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Five out of the seven received both the... Uh, criticism and the rebuke. Ephesus, it was the church that had left its first love. Paul wrote to the Ephesians one time and said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love, cease not to give thanks for you. But they left their first love. By the time this letter was written, and a church has no reason to be a church, when love is gone. Then Smyrna was about 35 miles north of Ephesus, and it was the suffering church, but it was rich, rich. Pergamos was 45 miles north of Smyrna, and they held the teachings of Balaam, and they loved the wages of unrighteousness, they ran greedily after the era of Balaam for reward, and Balaam was the one that caused Israel to compromise their standards, growth at any cost. Thyatira was 35 miles southeast of Pergamos, 
And they tolerated a woman named Jezebel, a false prophetess, a contemporary counterpart of the Jezebel of the Old Testament who was a fanatical worshiper of Baal and seduced Israel away from God. The first account of a woman painting her face to attract a man. Sardis, 30 miles south of Thyatira, had a reputation that she was alive, but she was dead. Alive? Oh, yes, her services were well attended, and the members were prominent people, but a dead church accomplishes nothing. Philadelphia, 38 miles southeast of Sardis, the church that had an open door that no man could shut. They must have been small in number. Nothing wrong with a small congregation if it's growing. But Philadelphia must have been small in number because the letter stated that she had little strength or power. And I don't believe with the other things that were said about this church that she lacked the strength only in number. Amen. And she was noted for keeping the word and not denying the name. Praise God. And then finally there was Laodicea, 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia. Nothing good is said about this church. She was neither hot nor cold, nauseating to God, rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. They didn't know that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. All within a few miles from each other. Amen. Philadelphia was just a few miles from a dead church in one direction and a few miles from another church that had left her first love, a few more miles from a church that held the teachings of Balaam and not far from the church that Jezebel attended and across town from the one that made God sick enough to vomit and only a few miles from one that had dropped all biblical standards. I want to preach to you tonight about the church across town. Praise God. The church across town, and I have no particular church in mind. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. But right between a dead church and a worldly church is the Philadelphia church. Philadelphia, you still preach the one God message? Oh, yeah. Philadelphia, you still preach the message of separation from the world? Thou hast kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Say, you can't keep his name and not keep his word. And you can't keep his word and deny his name. You cannot separate the two. There are a lot of churches that's trying to. You can't keep his word, not deny his name, and throw out biblical standards. They are inseparable. You cannot tear them apart. If you preach the word, you've got to preach the name Jesus. And if you preach Jesus, you've got to preach the word. And if you preach the word, you're going to come across some things that tell you how to live in this present life. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, I have a special feeling for churches that are preaching today what they were preaching when their church was founded. Hallelujah. Same message. Oh, you mean no, no progress? Oh, yeah. Amen. They built better buildings, and I'm impressed with that. But I'm more impressed with the same message that they preached when they opened at a storefront. Hallelujah. The church across town. What a responsibility rests on the man of God, but not only the preacher, but he that hath an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Thirty years ago, or a little more, I got really excited about what they call glossolalia. You see, the reason why I was raised in Pentecost, but we were not popular. Our church had a swayed back roof and was badly in need of paint. And when I went to school, I was embarrassed to tell, that's before I got the Holy Ghost, to tell where I went to church. And that was a kind of a thing that was innate within me, even after I came into the ministry. The fact that we were not accepted. But then Glossolalia came. And the Saturday evening post actually had full-page pictures of people with their hands up in the air, talking in tongues. All the leading magazines, front-page news on the newspapers was about Glossolalia speaking with tongues. And my heart swelled because now we were being accepted. I went to every kind of meeting that they had. Amen. They had them in the ballrooms downtown in the hotel, FGBMF. Amen. And I stood there with tears rolling down my cheeks as I heard them speaking with tongues and yet wondered how they could get up from that kind of a situation and go out and smoke a cigarette. But I still came back with a feeling of pride because, hey, they're talking in tongues. Amen. Maybe we are going to get somewhere. I have waited 30 years for the Holy Ghost to lead and guide into all truth. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I really thought we had arrived. Back in the year of 1976 in the early part, I resigned as general secretary, had served with Brother Chambers, our precious friend of mine, for eight years. But I resigned because I needed to go back to Nashville, Tennessee. Little did I realize back in 1960, 61, and 62, and 63 that there would come a day when a church across town would affect the church that I had pastored. They called it the Lord's Chapel, and it attracted crowds from everywhere. All of the leading country and western singers were prominently displayed in the newspapers as speaking with tongues and being a part of the Lord's Chapel.
And that church that I pastored began to feel intimidated because the crowds were not coming there like they were going over to the Lord's chapel. Hey, I don't have anything to lose. My God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so the pastor said, I'm not going to be a policeman anymore. Do what you want to do. And they started doing it. But the sad part about it is when they start doing it, I'm talking about our people, there's no stopping. Amen. Praise God. And the other sad part about it was that I, I had a son and his wife and family that was in that church. And if I only went back for one thing, I went back for that boy, his wife, and his two children. For no amount of success will compensate for failure in the home. That church, and I, uh, I'm sorry, Rudy, that church had gone so on the decline that they were actually social drinking. A United Pentecostal church? I'm telling you what I know to be a fact. Because there was a church across town that was intimidating them. My God. My God. My God. Hallelujah. But Philadelphia? Oh, you, you don't have a great big number. Don't worry about it, Philadelphia. Amen. As long as you're keeping my word and not denying my name. Praise God. As long as you're preaching one God, amen, just keep on preaching it and don't, don't, don't lay aside the word. Amen. Yeah, I've waited for 30 some odd years to see what was happening. Amen. But now our churches are still, in a sense, intimidated by the huge parking lots that look like shopping malls. People going and coming from the sanctuary. Amen. And one of our churches that went in that direction, that has a huge number, the assistant pastor was asked, how many, just recently, how many in this church do you think is really rapture ready? He said, not more than 20%. What is numbers if they're not ready? Who is Jesus talking to? And he said, you make them twofold more a child of hell. My God. My God. Oh, I'm compassionate and I'm, I'm in love with the lost that's coming up. But those that turn around, hey man, if if I pick up again that that I've destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And if you forget everything else I say, don't forget that. Because you repented one day and you gave yourself to the Lord in all 
of the marks of outward appearance and inward holiness. And if you go back to do those things, you are automatically a transgressor. If I build again the things that I destroy. Whew. My God. And Paul said, and that knowing the time, it is now or it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Praise God. I've read the book of Jonah many times and all of you have. The center of attention of that little book is the fact that Jonah was swallowed by a huge fish. But we need to be aware of what led up to him being swallowed by that fish. Jonah was going on his own way, disobedient to the call of God. He boarded a ship that was headed for Tarshish. In doing so, he went away from the presence of the Lord. And a great wind and a mighty tempest came, and the ship could have been broken, the Scripture said. They thought it was going to be. But down in the heart of that ship, Jonah was fast asleep. Jonah was asleep. And while he was sleeping, the sailors were praying to their gods. Little G. They didn't know Jonah's God. The believer is down in the bottom of a ship, sound asleep, while the world, the sailors, were praying. What a strange effect our disobedience has on the world. It reverses everything. Oh, you say the world today is not praying, Brother Becton. Neither did Macedonia send a man in a vision to Paul saying, come over and help us. Amen. Macedonia didn't send a man. God doesn't wait to hear the voice of conscious want. He acts upon unconscious need. And the world is crying for help. Amen. There is an epidemic of depression, suicide, personal emptiness, and escapism through drugs and alcohol. There is cultic obsession, sex, and violence. The problem is a spiritual one, and the answer and cure is also spiritual. But if the cure is spiritual, how does modern Christianity fit into the answer? Very poorly, because Christians are among those caught up in the epidemic. That fact is so prominent that modern thinking has come to view the Christian faith as powerless, even archaic, and at the very least, irrelevant. There is something critically wrong with the kind of religion that has no effect whatsoever on its society. Furthermore, there is something wrong when people can profess Christianity and continue to live in their godless lifestyle. There is something wrong when men can watch pornography on Saturday night and teach Sunday school the next morning. There is something wrong when you can abort babies during the week and sing in the choir. There is something wrong when men can be unfaithful to their wives and have absolutely no conscience or conviction over the matter. 
There's something wrong when people can live selfish, immoral lives, be proud, bitter, self-centered, and still occupy positions of leadership in the church. Mm. I don't know if you caught the words of the song that the Magruder sang. The world is getting wilder and the church is getting milder. Mm. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Verse 6 of chapter 1 of Jonah says, The captain, finding Jonah, shakes him and asks, How is it? that you are sleeping. Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. The world telling the believer to pray. Salt Lake City is telling us, or you say, no, I haven't heard them. No, and neither did Paul find the man from Macedonia when he went over there. God takes the unconscious need, amen, and makes it into a cry, amen, amen. And what is unusual is that the church, the man of God is sleeping while the world is praying. How strangely different. It was the world grieving and horrified at the sins of God's people rather than God's people grieving over the sins of the world. It was the world suffering God's judgment because of the sins of the man of God rather than the man of God suffering from the sins of the world. And that's a strange twist. Jonah was so trapped in his own actions that he curled up and fell asleep. He lost all concern for the world above deck. The shipmaster came and said, How is it that you're sleeping? And then he said, on whose account has this tragedy struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah said, well, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Well, then he said, how could you do this? What should we do to you that the sea become calm for us? And Jonah said, well, just take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be common to you, for I know that, my, for, that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hold it. Hold it. Wait a minute. Somebody talk to this gentleman off to one side. I'm not through. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Pray him through. Whatever. Amen, amen, amen. I, sit down, if you will. I'm going to close in a minute. I sat in a board meeting, our general board meeting, just the other day, just this past week. And someone mentioned a message that was preached 29 years ago in our general conference. And they didn't know that I had gotten that tape and I, I not only have listened to it over and over, but I, I transcribed it longhand, every word that that dear lady preached in a evening service. Amen. 
And I'm going to tell you some of the things that she said. This was before our young ministers of today. My own children were only 14, 10, and 4 when she preached this. And they need to hear what she said then. Amen. She preached and called her message Pentecost Wailing Law. She preached that we don't have what we one time had. She said, and I quote, The glory of the first church was separation. It was what made them so powerful, so wonderful. And this is what she said, I am going to harp. God's people have always been peculiar. They've always been separate. They've always looked different, acted different, talked different, and been different. If we want the glory of the first church, then let us act like the first church. And then she said this notable statement, the natural law of nature is this, to weaken is to die. If that's true naturally, then spiritually it's just the same. And then I quote her verbatim. She said, we are so mealy-mouthed and so scared silly to offend that we cannot call sin by its right name. Mm. Praise God. She preached it 29 years ago. I wanted my children to hear word for word. Amen. Are we mealy-mouthed? Have we got so much tact that we've lost our attack? The world wants a challenge. People have come to these services and heard messages similar, and they have gone out to find God because they were hungry for God. I'm telling you that we have a valuable heritage that must be preserved and passed on to the next generation. While some may focus, and I'm quoting somebody else on this, while some may focus on the weaknesses of our early church leaders, obviously many were not theologically trained or formally educated or worldly wise. I think it is far more vital to concentrate on the reality of what they discovered. Pentecost is just as real as they passed it on to us. Some folks are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We've got too many people that are ever learning, ever learning, ever learning, amen, ever learning, but they're never coming to the experience of feeling, and it's more than feeling. It is knowledge of the Word of God, and I'm here to tell you tonight that the United Pentecostal Church stands on the inerrancy of the Word of God. There are no errors in it, amen, and we can find in the Scripture Everything that we teach and preach. Stand with me. Everybody stand. Hey, where's your energy? Have you used it all up? 
Your adrenaline. Did you use it for something else today? Amen. Oh, get a second wind. Hallelujah. Praise God. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. The Lord is here. Just waiting to see what you're going to do. Get out on the bottom of the boat. The sailors are up on the upper deck and they're dying. You say, well, I don't see anybody up there. The whole world outside this, this great arena is crying for help. Well, you say, nobody cried for help for me today. Every time you walk by somebody, they were crying for help. Amen. Maybe not literally, but God was putting within them a feeling of what you have. And they were saying, I don't have what they have. I'd like to have it. And folks, we're going to get out of the bottom of the boat and come up to the upper deck. We don't need to be cast into the sea to be swallowed by a great fish. Oh, I wish we could have a victory march. That's not enough room. Gotta dance a little bit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Yeah, I love the word. Amen. Philadelphia, you've kept his word. You not denied his name. You were the little congregation. You were not intimidated by Laodicea. Amen. You were not intimidated by Ephesus. You kept the word and you didn't deny his name. The church across town, wherever it is, or the spirit of the church across town, amen, can get you involved in compromise. Let's come on in close. Close as you can get. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know there's not a lot of room. Just push your way out into the aisle. Amen. If you love the truth, and I know you do. We don't want to lose anybody. Hear me again. We don't want to lose anybody. We just want you to realize that the Word of God is the same as it was when you came into Pentecost, however many years ago it was. Oh, hallelujah. All right. You can't come in close. Right back where you are. Lift your hands up. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah! 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 Let God, let God have His wonderful way. Oh, hallelujah! Everybody worshiping! 